Hey everybody, welcome to another Prog Report Top 5 Podcast, the very first one of 2020. Welcome back, my name is Roy Avon, I hope everybody had a great holiday. And uh, just a quick reminder, if you missed our Best of 2019 podcast, that is up. And uh, Top 5 Steve Hackett songs, Top 5 Fine Colors, some great interviews that we did over the second half of last year, so you can catch up on everything online. And as always, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube and Spotify and so on to stay up to date with everything. We have a lot of great stuff planned for this year. Anyway, uh, we're happy to kick off uh, the new decade, the new year, uh, beginning of January. Um, I think this is a perfect podcast, actually. We're going to go a couple of different ways with the first one, and and we're going to try and do some different things this year. As I uh, posted, I had a poll recently where I asked if the audience would be cool about us trying to delve into some some podcasts outside of just Prague. So we've toyed with the idea of Van Halen, Deep Purple, you know, things like that. And we'll get to some of those because I think those are still going to be interesting. But uh, what we're going to do since we had a big uh, recap of the decade and we gave an Artist of the Decade Award, it's only fitting that we have one of the Artists of the Decade on our Aww. podcast. So we're bring back our... Uh, I mean, regular at this point, Mike Portnoy. Thanks, man. Uh, well, first of all, thank you. Uh, well, first of all, happy new year. But second of all, thank you so much for the honor of that, uh, that award for, for me and Neil. So, uh, that really, really meant a lot to both of us. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, uh, no, I appreciate that, that you would say that. And, and, uh, you know, it was funny because we don't want to get accused of sometimes favoring some artists over others, you know, and, and in some cases when we're doing this, when you're when you're more involved in doing these websites and you you're constantly reviewing things and seeing bands on shows and interviewing and seeing the output people are you you sort of tend to have a different perspective than just someone that's just a fan so for for me when and when we were picking this and putting this together it really was sort of obvious it wasn't like a this person's music has been better than anyone else i mean we obviously we like a lot or most of what you do but it's. I think it's inarguable that the, the um, sort of imprint that you and, and Neil together have had on the genre. I mean, tons of bands have been discovered. Tons of musicians have been discovered because of your music. It's not just that you put out an album or two albums every year. You know what I mean? So it was sort of right. like, for us, it wasn't even about that. It was that we well, like this music better than on anything else. I mean, Jeff, I think you would probably agree. I mean, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, it, the 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 stuff that you do for the genre i mean you know i think it's people even look particularly to you mike in terms of well what should i listen to next you know and i think that's that's something that actually you know it's not an ego thing you simply you're a music fan as well um music fans tell uh people what they're listening to and what they find interesting and that you know there's a lot of bands over the decade that i suspect people may may not have come to had it not been for for the pointers and the recommendations and the support slots and all that kind of stuff so yeah as well as all as well as all the music well i just love i love talking about everybody else i mean that's one of the reasons i love doing these 
Prog Report top fives is because I'm, you know, most of the time talking about other bands and other music and things like that. And even, you know, even in the the early days of Dream Theater, I always handpicked, you know, the opening bands to because bands that I was fans of, you know, I took Box Beard out and mm-hmm. Face Warning and King's X and Porcupine Tree and Pain of Salvation and, you know, so on and so forth all down the line just because I was a fan of those bands and wanted to share them, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's important, and the more people do that, the better. I think the genre is better for it, um, and and even having more websites and more people re- reviewing and more more websites doing podcasts, all that's better for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. And so uh, and so it's good. But um, before we get into, uh, so we're gonna do a top five albums of the decade, which is like nearly it's ridiculous to do. We do these albums of the year, which is impossible. A decade is gonna be ridiculously impossible. Um, but why not? And, uh, and we want to talk about some of your, uh, TV and movies that you, that you like as well. Cause I know that's important for you. Um, but I want to, of course, we got to talk about Sons of Apollo while we're recording this. We're a little more than a week out from release of 2020 or MMXX, however you want to say it. And, uh, man, that album's just killer. I think a lot of the people have heard, uh, the first two singles. Um, you got to be excited about this one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're kicking off the the year and kicking off the decade uh, uh, with a bang because uh, this album is is really awesome. I'm really proud of it and excited by it. Um, I guess by the time this airs, um, the album may be out or at least the third single will uh, be out. The the third video and single for Desolate July is coming out uh, this week, so that might even be out by the time people hear this. And yeah, I think it's... uh, it's an amazing album and, and something I'm totally excited about. I can't wait to hit the road with it because it's uh, an amazing live band. Above all, uh, this band is, is, is an, an incredible live act. So that's the thing I'm most looking forward to. The song that, uh, and a lot of people haven't heard it, but the song that I keep going back to, uh, which is just blows me away, is the is uh, New World Today, the last song, which I think is going to blow everybody away. Um what was the story a little bit behind that one? Is that is is the epic sort of left to the end of writing? Is it is it pieced from a bunch of different parts and you put it together? How does that one come about? Well, both both of those examples is exactly what it was. Um, we had a, a long long playlist of different riffs and ideas that both Derek and Bumblefoot brought in. So I cataloged it all and had it all my iTunes and we would reference all these different riffs and we were writing all the songs and we found ourselves with about, I don't know, 45, 45 minutes of music worth already written. And we still had all these ideas sitting on the table. So so we we knew we wanted to write a big song uh, in the vein of Opus Maximus from the first album, but not an instrumental. So we knew we wanted to write something big and something crazy with a lot of twists and turns, but also very, you know, with vocal parts. So we went through this, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the things that we loved the most that were still sitting on the table and we figured out a way to kind of work them all in. And uh, it was a, it was kind of a, you know, a, a, a melting pot of a bunch of different things. Derek had uh, the original intro, which is uh, Ascension. It's, it's, it's a guitar solo, but it's something that Derek had the chord progressions and a lot of the guitar lines already written. So we had that. We had the, the bit that it goes into, which is kind of like a UK kind of thing. Um, and then we had all the middle bits, uh, all the crazy, uh, on the album, it's called adventures in Bumbleland, but it was all these crazy (laughs) Bumblefoot, like (laughs) sick, sick riffs. And 
we kind of just pieced it all together in true prog fashion and made a bit of an epic out of it. And it's got a lot of bits and pieces. It's got this whole thrash section in the middle and, uh, you know, a lot of it ranges from like thrash to to UK Prague and everything in between in this one, you know, sixteen minute journey. What I love is uh, you guys are putting out these re- these writing session videos, and I'm, I find it always just fascinating how you're watching that thing and it's just you guys riffing and there's a bunch of parts that you're throwing out there, and then somewhere in the middle you always step to the board and you're like, okay, I got it. And you organize in like three seconds, this is five, six, this, and seven, eight, this, and three parts of this, and then we'll change to G on the last fourth one. And then all of a sudden, it's a song. And I think it, anybody that hasn't seen those videos, I mean, you've been doing that forever, but those videos are so fascinating, how yeah. your mind reads all those parts that to other people just sounds like riffage, and then it just right. becomes a song. And that's always been my role. If you look at all the bands, even back in the old Dream Theater days, that's kind of always been my role, like the director and the arranger. And, uh, you know, I, I put out a million videos of like drum cam stuff. Anytime we're recording, I always put that stuff out. But very rarely do we have cameras rolling when we're writing. And I used to do that with Dream Theater. We, we you know, I did a lot of making of videos for, uh, you know, Train of Thought and Systematic Chaos and um so you know you would see my role in in the writing and the arranging of these songs in those cases but a lot of times we don't like having cameras running when we're actually doing the writing uh we like to do the writing you know you know kind of in the secrecy of our own world and and so a lot of times people don't get to see that but that really is always my role in any song i've ever been a part of i'm always kind of like the cheerleader and the one that's like yeah i you know i immediately could see all these riffs and bits and pieces and i see the end picture immediately and somebody like steve morse isn't used to working with somebody like me um (laughs) you know steve steve likes to work very methodically very slowly uh but i'm like this crazy energy and i could immediately take all these bits and pieces yeah i see it we'll do the yeah i see it already this is the album opener you know and and steve morse will look at me like how do you how how is that possible <laughs> like we haven't even we haven't played it yet and it's like it's okay it's okay i get it no, but that's really uh, yeah cool. that's just it's just a crazy energy and uh luckily i collaborate with people that that can hang with that energy you know with the neil morse band and transatlantic and um you know sons of apollo and all these bands and even with dream theater it was a uh, it's an energy that luckily i surround myself with people that can can hang with it and roll with it and flow with it yeah and how, how long the, those those videos that we've seen how long does that kind of does that period where the three of you are in the room how, how long does that last for is that you know a couple of weeks is it a week you know how long was that for this album it's, it's different for different bands like for instance with the new sons of apollo uh, Derek, myself, and Bumblefoot were at my house doing the writing and the the pre-production. That was, I think, a week to ten days um, of that process. And you know, we could usually get a song together in one day or over the course of two days. So that was about a week to ten days. But then then comes the tracking process, and people people misunderstand, thinking like we did the whole album in ten days. No, that's just yeah. the the writing and the arranging, but then the recording takes months and months and months. So uh, I hope people don't misunderstand that. But but that's that process is always fast. Even in Dream Theater, I remember we wrote the entire Train of Thought album in, in the course of a couple of weeks, and people thought we were shortchanging the music. It's like, no, well, that's that's all we needed. You know, that's, yeah. you, you know, when you work, you get your heads together really quick, you could do it. I think we did, Transatlantic did the whole Whirlwind album 
the writing and the arranging in, in only a week or 10 days, the same thing. Uh, in fact, the new Transatlantic album is, I think, the long, one of the longest writing processes I've ever had. You know, we, we, we spent, I think, 10 days to two weeks for that. So um, honestly, I get bored. If, if you spend more time than that doing the writing and the arranging, I, I start to lose. <laughs> I get bored. I, you know, I start yeah. moving on to the next thing. Because I'm, I'm reading um, a book at the moment, um, Ken Calliott, who's the guy who, it's about the Fleetwood Mac making the Tusk album, mm-hmm. um, you know, which was kind of the, 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 obviously the follow-up from Rumours, and he wrote a book about the making of Rumours, and then this is kind of the, the next one where, you know, Lindsey Buckingham decided he didn't want the produced California sound, he wanted to drum on kind of... Uh, tissue boxes and you right. know, bins and stuff like that and you're reading you know the months and months and months of experimentation you know to get this stuff and 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 looking and going it's such a different world from well, what it is now you know i get that for the recording process because the recording process could be very tedious and you want to spend time experimenting with different sounds and sometimes that takes time and it's a lot of sitting around but for me the writing process and it's the same with neil morse he's very very similar to me in that respect and same with john petrucci in that respect uh and the same with derek sherinian in, in, in with sons of apollo you know these are guys that you know you get in the room you got the ideas and putting them together and making a song out of it, it it's it's second nature it's easy so yeah. you, you know that process is a very very quick um process where you know you just put your heads together and you don't want to overthink when you overthink these things. That's when you could sit there spending months and months and months writing and rewriting and second guessing. And, and yeah. uh, to me, sometimes that get that process gets frustrating. Well, when and, you start and second guessing. I mean, didn't the Beatles record their first album in like a day or something? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same with black Sabbath. Well, the, although the difference is in those cases, you know, when you make your first record, you have years and years to write it. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, but then once you, the once the process begins with your second album, uh, then you're you're in the, uh, you know, the the, the never ending cycle, and at that point you gotta you gotta hit the ground running. You don't have people say you have like your whole life to write your first album, and then you have like one week to write your second album. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Uh, all right, so we got that. That's coming out uh, January seventeenth. Then the tour kicks off right after that. You got a ton of dates in the U.S. and then in. Uh, Europe and uh, tickets are uh, for sale right uh, right now, sonsofapollo.com. Um, yep. So everybody check all that out. And uh, let's see, you got the uh, Neil Morse band live in Brno. How do we pronounce that? Yeah, Brno, yep. Um, comes out, uh, what is it, March 6th, I think? And, yeah, March something, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then you're working on Transatlantic, so another full year. And, of course, you hinted at a, at a secret project that no one knows about yet, so... Right. How far down the line before anyone knows about that? Uh, we start mixing that project today, actually. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, news of that will start coming soon. I think we're releasing it in May. So, yeah, pretty soon at this point, we'll be making the announcement. It'll be through Inside Out. And uh, so, yeah, pretty soon. It's, it's just a fun project, something on the side uh, for, that was a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, in- info coming soon. Really cool. Um, all right, so let's uh, go ahead and dive in into some fun. So we want to go ahead and give you an opportunity to do a little bit of recapping of uh, you want to do movies, TV, and then we'll jump into some albums. Sure, sounds good. All right, so you go ahead, you talk, and then you're the expert on movies and TV. We are not, but we will Got jump it. in with a few of our favorites as you as you go. 
Uh, Al Fagel is listening right now. Like, yeah. oh man, I want to talk movies. He's freaking out. Time. He's so upset when he finds yeah. out that he's not involved in this. All right, so go ahead. Let's let's go ahead and start with uh, with movies. What are some of your favorite movies of the decade, and where would you go if you were somebody that hasn't been around in the last ten years? What do they What do they absolutely need to catch up on? Right. Well, I mean, I put out my list and I narrowed it down to about twenty five or so. And uh, I mean, I guess I'll break it down to my favorite directors, really. And uh, if I'm looking at the decade, uh, looking at the list, I think there's at least five or six guys on here with multiple films. So those would be the go to guys. And looking at the list, we have uh, we have Gaspar Noah, who's a a French director. And this year, uh, this decade, he made uh, Enter the Void and Climax. Now, both of those films are I have to recommend them with a very, very strong uh, warning <laughs> sticker because he's he's a very, very extreme director. He made the film Irre- Irreversible uh, back in, I think, 2002, and it's one of the most extreme films ever. But he's daring, cutting edge, insane, and uh, I love him for that. Um, Martin Scorsese had an amazing decade. Um, uh, Wolf of Wall Street was earlier in the decade, which was epic. And then, of course, he closed out the decade with The Irishman, which was a three and a half hour tour de force masterpiece, kind of uh, almost could be a, a fitting swan song if he was to never make another film. I mean, it really was incredible. Um, Alejandro Gonzalez Inaruto, Mexican <laughs> director, and he made two of the greatest films of the decade and was awarded uh, diver- de- de- deservingly so. He, I think he won Oscars for both of them back to back with with Birdman and The Revenant, and um, both of those films were two of the most visually stunning films of the decade. I think he won Oscars for both of them, and uh, his cinematographer, um, uh, the same guy that did both of those, Emmanuel Lubezki. He also did The Tree of Life with Ter- Terrence Malick. Anyway, incredible, incredible films. Birdman was. You know, shot in a way that it's. I seems saw. Like it's I saw both of those. Shot, and, yeah, take. Birdman is amazing. I saw that one. That was really, really right. good. Yeah. Uh, and then the other amazing uh, Mexican director is Alfonso Cuarón, who also uses the same cinematographer, and he did Gravity, and he did Children of Men in the previous decade. But he's another great one. Uh, Denis Villeneuve. He's uh, a French Canadian director. He did Blade Runner twenty forty nine. He did Sicario. He did enemies, uh, enemy and prisoners. He's he's the the hot, hot director these days. Him and Christopher Nolan, I would say, are up there. So he was another great one, and he had multiple films on my top uh, top list. Uh, and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino. Those are my two heroes. I mean, I, Tarantino and, and Anderson are up there in my book with you know Kubrick and and uh, David Lynch. So they are the the two modern filmmakers that are making just masterpiece after masterpiece. Tarantino ended the decade with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That was incredible. Uh, He also had The Hateful Eight this decade. He also had uh, Django. Uh, And then P.T. Anderson had uh, The Master and Inherent Inherent Vice. Uh, Closed out this decade with Phantom Thread, which is a little slower for him. But uh, in any case... There's there's the list of all the the go-to filmmakers of of the decade that are just, you know, heroes of mine, just as much as any musician out there. And I know that or at least I might have read it somewhere. You're not the biggest fan of like all the Avengers movies and all that kind of stuff, right? Is that or do you enjoy those you just don't think of them as No, I, I 
I, I haven't seen a single Spider-Man. I haven't seen a single Avengers. And that's why I was... That's like all the movies I nope. see. <laughs> I know. I, I don't see any of them. And I, w- I wasn't even interested in Joker until I saw the trailer. And then I realized it looked like a Scorsese film. It looked like it was Taxi Driver meets King of Comedy. So I saw Joker and it just blew my mind. And hands down, one of my favorite films of the decade. Uh, incredible. Because it was not typical Hollywood action. It was dark and very violent and very uh, psychological. So, uh, you know, that's what drew me into that particular film. And, and a, special, a special note has to go to the film Mandy, which gets a special, uh, a special um, shout out here on the Prague Report, because where else are you going to see a crazy, violent Nicolas Cage film that the opening credits are to King Crimson's Starless. <laughs> Any film that opens with Starless gets, has to get a, a, a definite uh, special uh, shout out here in the Prague Report. That's funny. That might be <laughs> worth. That might be worth seeing. Um, and uh, and you did like the last Star Wars, the the uh, Rise of Skywalker, right? So we did. I remember you did say that was good, which I yeah, thought as I, well. I loved Episode Seven out of the, out of the new trilogy. Um, uh, that was my favorite episode seven. I thought checked all the boxes. It was it really really nailed everything I wanted to see as a Star Wars fan. I wasn't crazy about episode eight, but episode nine was a bit of a comeback for me. But I would put them in the order of seven, nine, and eight in terms of my you know my favorites of of the new trilogy. Yeah, yeah, I think I'd agree there. Uh, Jeff, your favorite cartoon movie. <laughs> I don't feel embarrassed about it, but I suppose my my probably my last two years have been consumed by the Avengers movies and uh, by some of our some of some of our people who are on the Prog Report crew pointing me in the direction of that and my kids loving it. So I I feel slightly unsophisticated in this arena. Um, yeah, what I will talk about and what I what what I kind of know about, uh, I, I suppose. Um, is some of the music movies and I suppose particularly the last couple of years, you know, mm. Bohemian Rhapsody, which, you know, Queen Queen was where it all kicked off for me. Um, and I, so I thoroughly enjoyed that um, kind of how that was done. Um, continuity stuff from nerdy, nerdy bits to one side. Yeah, I, I love I th- that. I love Bohemian Rhapsody. And I, I thought the um, Rocket Man, I thought the Elton John one was, was also very well done. It was, it was a it was a great approach to it. It was brutally honest. The music was fantastic. Um, those those are the kind of things that 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 I'm probably more into than the. Uh, than, I, I loved uh, 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 Stars Born as well. I thought that was great with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. Even though that wasn't a biopic, there were yeah. other biopics as well, like the Motley Crue movie, The Dirt, and the uh, Lords Lords of Chaos, which was a, a biopic about the black metal scene in in uh, Norway. I mean. I, I, I like the idea of these biopics. I think a lot of them are, are, are have been really entertaining. Yeah, yeah. no, they're, they're starting to do them better and not in a, in a cheesy way, which is kind of kind of good. All right, so TV, jumping to TV. What are your favorites from in that genre or arena, rather? Uh, the, the genre and the arena is it's very similar to film these days. I mean, I I, I think TV in this past decade it's the, it's the golden age, and uh, well, my two favorite TV shows of the decade were both. Um, made by film favorite filmmakers of mine, uh, David Lynch's uh, Twin Peaks revival, Twin Peaks: The Re- Re- Return, was mm. essentially a an eighteen hour David Lynch film, you know, on mm. cable TV, and it was for me uh, an absolute dream come true to finally be revisiting this world twenty five years later that I was so obsessed with 
back in uh, you know 1990, and now here we are, 25 years later. I would never have imagined that. And then the other one for me was uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, who's uh, my, one of my favorite um, Danish filmmakers. He, too, had a, a cable series called Too Old to Die Young, which essentially was like a 13-hour film uh, on Amazon. And, and that was also very, very similar to Twin Peaks The Return. Very, very slow, cerebral. Um, you have to be very, very patient for, for either of these. I mean, they were both like a tough watch unless you were a fan of of these guys as filmmakers already. But those were the two big ones. And then there's this, you know, Breaking Bad, Sons of Anarchy, Game of Thrones, Fargo, Dark, Boardwalk Empire, The uh, the Deuce, Black Mirror, the, the Leftovers. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Every one of these were, were great, great filmmaking, uh, just delegated to TV, you know, uh, Billions and uh, Louie and, and Mad Men and Euphoria. Every one of these shows, like, you could binge them and it's like a, a great 10-hour film or, or great book within itself. Yeah, no, those are some great ones. I watched some of those. I mean, Breaking Bad is one of my favorites as well. It's just so awesome. Um, and then the movie that they just did for it, which was also pretty good. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Recently. Um I mean, Jeff, I'm, I'm guessing you're sort of in the same boat where you haven't seen many of these. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I not not none of those. I mean, the stuff that I have been able to watch, which some of which you might have heard of, and um, Westworld was actually a, I I really enjoyed it. Um, don't know if yeah. you guys have seen it, but again, I I have a a memory of the original Yul Brynner movie, seeing it one light late on TV and being freaked out by it, and. Uh, so there was a bit of a fascination of, of of watching it, and I thought it was very well done. The rest, I I, I mean, they're mostly British things, which I don't know if you guys will ever heard of. There's a series called Luther, and um, with Idris Elba, who is the guy, he, um, and it's it's a it's a kind of um, I suppose crime detective one, which is really good. There's another drama of the last couple of years, um, Keeping Faith, which is about a a woman whose husband disappears, which is very good, and another series called Line of Duty, which is um, about about a uh, the um, the part of the police that investigates corrupt police officers, and it's run probably every other year for the last five years, um, getting deeper and deeper into the story, and it's and it's it's also filmed in uh, in Belfast, despite not being set there, and so there's always a bit of a you're you're always spotting locations and places you know which is pretty fun and uh I'm closest to my heart um doctor who as well into its 50 50 <laughs> year you know <laughs> longest wow. running show on tv and still uh still cranking it out that's crazy. my favorite uk import was um a show called over and over i don't know if you saw that over there but it was, uh, I think, a BBC show that HBO picked up, and I, this past season, uh, I thought it was really excellent. It was, uh, it takes place in the future, kind of like a, if you remember, HBO's Six Feet Under from the '90s or 2000s, oh, yeah. but it's, it's kind of like a futuristic version of Six Feet Under. Um, I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, that was that was really good. With uh, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, oh, she plays the uh, the Prime Minister Emma, Emma Thompson. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, great, yeah, great yeah, show. Yeah. Really yeah, enjoyed yeah. that. I find that I like binging shows more than I like watching movies lately. I don't know why that yeah. is. Well, yeah. the quality on t on some of these shows is, is, is incredible. I mean, uh, you know, the budgets have got to be enormous for some of these some of these TV shows. Yeah. I mean, Game yeah. of Thrones, obviously, that was, you know, every episode was like seeing 
you know, Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. It was, in, you know, incredible. All right. Well, I'm che- I'm checking uh, from your from your social media feeds today, um, Mike. I think you watched the uh, the awards last night, and Ricky Gervais did, yeah, did that. And his opening monologue, he talked about you know, well, nobody watches movies <laughs> anymore; yeah. they just all watch Netflix. <laughs> yeah, Ricky's great. I mean, I'm a huge fan of The Office, but then he did uh, Extras, was also great. Yeah. And then Derek, and then he's got his his new show uh, as well. So yeah, he's he's great. I love yeah, him. The monologue was so awesome. It was great. Yeah. Uh, all right, cool. Let's go ahead and uh, and jump into some music stuff. We're gonna try and tackle the. We'll, we'll jump to our normal sort of top five routine here, and we'll do top five albums of the decade. Now, Jeff and I, I don't know if he's gonna stick with it, but we sort of tried to impose a. One or one, maybe two Portnoy related albums in this top five, because otherwise, <laughs> I don't know, you know, it could be too, you know, too biased here. So well, we'll do five, to, uh, counting on from five to one. So, uh, Mike, get us started. What's your fifth album of the of the last decade? Well, I'll start by saying, being that this is the Prague Report, I'm going to go with the more Prague oriented album. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah my, we will too. Yeah, as well. Right. I mean, if you look at my list, I have some hardcore stuff on there like code orange and vein and gojira uh you know i have stuff like beastie boys and eminem so obviously i'm gonna stay away from all that stuff and i'll just do my top five within the prog or prog ish genre right um so going backwards i guess um i guess number five would be the latest tool album fear inoculum and, uh, you know, obviously it was a long time coming and uh, we waited all decade just to get this one album out of them. And uh, it's just such a deep, deep album. Um, the, the rhythms, the polyrhythms, the production, the sounds, it's so, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about how, you know, I can write an album with Neil Morse Band or Transatlantic or Sons of Apollo like in a week or 10 days but not you know when you listen to this Tool album music like this you could tell they spent years on these these rhythms that are going on are just so deep and interwoven and so thought out that you know music like this you could tell it takes many many weeks and months on end to to put together so I really respect that they put that kind of time into the detail and and uh you know the song i saw them live this year and it blew my mind one of the best shows i've, I've seen all, all decade and i posted about this how I, I really was almost uh i'm happy for them but almost jealous in a way that here they here's a band that's doing 15 minute songs with all these crazy outside signatures and they're selling out arenas here in america yeah. playing to 15,000 people a night and uh it's just amazing that they could have this music that's so um, kind of anti-commercial and so musical and so with so much integrity, but yet they can have so much uh, commercial accessibility. So I really respect that from them. That 
part of it never made sense to me. I, I, I think it's amazing that they've been able to do it. I just don't understand how it happened. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally. Most, it's, it's not even... Uh, I could see flying colors having, you know, sort of commercial uh, uh, parts to it and, and memorable choruses playing two arenas easier than tool. Right. You know totally. what I mean? So I don't yeah. know, but more power to them. I think it's just amazing. Yeah. I think yeah. it also to me shows a little bit that there is an audience for more of the prog stuff that's out there. And it's just a matter of getting the music in front of those people. You know, well, the thing and- is, I think tool tool appeals to a different audience than the prog audience. You know, when I went mm-hmm. and saw the show, it was, Filled with people that like hip hop, people that like yeah. metal, a, a lot more metal oriented. People that like emo, or uh, you know, uh, it, it, it there. You know, if you were to put, uh, I don't know, I, I'll say Dream Theater. I'm not trying to cause controversy, but like in a band like Dream Theater, all those years when I was in the band, we always scratched our heads, like, why is Tool appealing to all these people, but we can't like cross that line, you know, and. It's a very, very different audience than the typical prog audience that we know of. No, yeah. for sure. And and we even we got we got a little bit of, of flack for not including Fear Inoculum on our best albums of this past year when we did our little podcast. It just didn't sort of come up in in our among our little group. But um, so I think you're right. It's it it's not just straight prog fans. It, it is a mix. It is people that like alternative. You can have fans of Nirvana that like Tool. You know that kind of thing. So it's it's a weird it's it's a weird thing for me to wrap my head around. But um. I think I think the closest parallel I would say is is and not that their music sounds the same, but is with Muse. You know, who again are a band who sell certainly in in UK and Europe are selling out massive arenas. You know, making very complicated music, but it, but actually most kind of prog people don't don't really like them or you know look, sort of slightly look down their nose at them. So it's interesting. It's a vibe, some kind of vibe about it that works. Um, all right, cool. Yeah, why not? Uh, Jeff, what's yours? Number five. Okay. Uh, yeah. As I say, how do you, how do you, I've struggled to pick five from a year, never mind five from a decade. Yeah. So I decided to go go with things that I I could think of that were you know music that I knew from start to finish and had really thoroughly digested. So this is probably a slightly off the wall one for to start with. Um, not that it's not prog, but Sticks the Mission was an album that wow. I really loved hmm. in uh, 2017. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a big Sticks fan, though, and uh, in, in a sense, th- they probably didn't have a lot of profile in the UK, at least not whenever through the mediums that I was getting it when I was growing up. Um, but it's a I, I think I'm, I'm whenever I wrote a review of this, you know, it's the 42 minute album. It's a concept album, which I like. It's got the variety of the, obviously the three guys singing Tommy Shaw, JY and um, Lawrence gone. And I mean, I haven't explored their sort of 1970s and other catalog in retrospect. Um, I think it's e- easily one of their best albums. And again, it ticks a box for me. I'm a big fan of stuff that's really well done and surround sound and there's amazing an amazing 5.1 um mix of it that just came out maybe about two years ago um so that's an album again i could sing it from start to finish i know every every note in it and it must it must figure in my list somewhere so 
But I'm guessing you maybe even I, haven't even heard it, Roy. <laughs> no, no, I, I actually loved that album. I, th- I enjoyed it very much when it came out. It, I was surprised at how good it really was. Um, and it was more progressive and it did have a concept and everything around it. I, I, I liked it very much. I don't know that, I, I mean, it's not in my top five, but yeah, it's a very solid, good album by them. I don't know the album, um, but I do know uh, Todd Zuckerman, the drummer, is ridiculous to, to, yeah. to me one of my favorite drummers out there these days. And I, yeah. even though I'm not familiar with this new album, I, I you know I follow him on Instagram and and social media, and he's always posting drum cam videos. And you know whether it be new new stick songs or stuff from the catalog, he just plays with such great feel and conviction and taste. And and he's absolutely one of my favorite drummers out there at the moment. Yeah, no, yeah. he's yeah, he's totally. great. His drum videos that he posts every once in a while, they're tremendous. Uh, yeah. Really, really good drummer. Uh, all right, I'm going to jump in. Um, so, I, I don't know, my top five is sort of, uh, uh, it really encompasses what are the f- five bands I think I've listened to the most in the last, if not 10 years, seven, eight years. Um, just sort of bands that just keep circulating between all the new stuff that comes out, the stuff that I just keep revisiting. Um, and just some of the best bands in, in music. And I just wish they would have more, uh, notoriety, but, uh, so I'm going to go with, um, for my number five, I'm going to go Haken, of course. Uh, one of the best bands this whole decade. I'm so happy for their success. No better guys to deserve, you know, all the success that they've gotten so far. And, uh, but I'm going to go not with the uh, normal pick, the mountain. I'm going to go with Vector from 2018 which um, the only slight on it is that it's a little bit short as an album, but the whatever 40 minutes or whatever it is, is just so ball busting. Awesome. Um, And it just kicks so much ass. And that instrumental nail by mouth is, it might be my, one of my favorite songs of the decade. It's just such an incredible instrumental Um, puzzle box is killer. The veil is killer. The production is ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I just, I still love that album. Uh, and I listen to it all the time. Yeah. They were, they were writing a lot of that album on the Shattered Fortress tour, uh, in Europe and Australia. They were, I, I remember them all passing around laptops and files and putting together a lot of the riffs and the parts and, and starting to program a lot of that stuff on the Shattered Fortress tour. That's cool. So you, were you yeah. hearing like some of it, like as yeah. it was going along? Yep, absolutely. I wonder if that rubbed on, rubbed off on them, sort of the heaviness of it a little bit, playing what you were playing in the Shattered Fortress. Mm-hmm. Very, very possible, yeah. Yeah. And and you know what? I'm not always like the heavy, heavy rock guy, but the way they just captured everything they were doing, um, 
they did it in a way that is very still unique and it doesn't sound like anyone else. And I think it's just really awesome. cool well you, yeah you know, you know roy that i i'm i'm uh, haken i i've been the great undecided about haken but yeah. um, my my last gig of of the year was seeing them supporting um devon townsend on the on the tour and actually the same venue mike that sons of apollo played in in belfast the limelight mm-hmm. that little club and you know it, it it was a light bulb moment seeing that that vector material in particular being played live mm-hmm. um it was just enchanting watching sort of master craftsmen at work and I, I i really thoroughly enjoyed it and i've gone back and listened to that album a lot more from having having seen it performed yeah do you mike do you see a lot of drummers that are as influenced by you as as maybe like a drummer like ray hearn is because i when i look at him i'm like he he listened to a lot of portnoy dream theater that's i feel like that. yeah I, I see a lot of drummers that definitely I could see my influence. And then I see a lot of drummers where I think they probably hated me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think Ray, I watched Ray play. I could tell he, he grew up listening to, to me and uh, Blake, uh, Blake Richardson from uh, between the buried and me, I could tell he grew up with it or uh, you know, there's, there's definitely a whole crew of uh, kind of prog drummers and the whole world from Haken and periphery and bands like that between the buried and me could definitely tell they grew up with dream theater and, and listening to me. But then there's other guys that have their own thing, you know, some, uh, Oh God, I'm just like, uh, doing this off the top of my head, but you know, um, Oh, also a drummer from Leprous is also cited, uh, listening to yeah, me, but, hard is great. But, but there's a lot of guys like, uh, maybe Craig Blundell or, uh, you know, Nick D Virgilio guys like that, that are way more pocket and groove guys, Gavin Harrison. Right. I could tell Gavin probably, hates me, you know, uh, you know, he's always nice and always courteous and we're always, you know, nice to each other, but you could tell drummers like that, that probably have a, a chip on their shoulder against me and, and purposely did not listen to me. So I, I, I see both sides. Yeah. No. And, and I just want to say, it's not a, it's not a slide on saying like Ray's copying your sound. I, I think of it more like the way the drums play into the song, right? right. Cause I always thought of the way you drum is not, just following and just playing double bass it's there's songwriting within the drum parts and it it plays into what the song is doing and that's what i hear when i hear something like ray and what he does anyway yeah, um, uh, okay you're number four well perfect segue because it's uh the band that haken uh just toured with and is going to continue to tour with uh in this year and devon townsend yep. uh with yep. the empath album that would be my number four of the yep. decade and uh that's an album that obviously came out this last year and is, I think it was my favorite album of this last year. And it was just such a, such a masterpiece, such a, a, a deep 
piece of artistic work. You know, you could tell he really put his heart and soul into it. Um, and to be honest, I, you know, I've always respected and admired everything Devin's done in the past, but nothing ever clicked with me like this new album did. And um, everything from, you know, it's got moments that sound like ABBA. There's other moments that sound like it's like music from Disney World. There's other <laughs> moments that are complete death metal, blast beat, you know, insanity. Yeah. And it's just got such it's such a such a roller coaster ride from start to finish. And I just have so much respect and admiration for for what he put into this album. I agree. Yeah. The minute I heard it the first time, I was just floored because I I feel the same way. I like a lot of stuff he's done. There's some albums that completely missed the mark for me because one thing you have to give him credit for as an artist, he's fearless. One album to the next, can, they can be completely not related. He does whatever he wants. He always has, and uh, this one is just so dynamic yeah. in what I, I, you, there's very few artists that can throw that many genres, not, not just in one album, but in one song. Um, and again, I got to point out the production is, is just so overwhelmingly powerful that, um, really a masterpiece work. It really is. All right, Jeff, you number four. Okay, number four. Um, a lot of my my doing putting this together was looking back at the bands that I like and actually trying to remember and figure out what they had released. And I, <laughs> yeah. I was doing my. Did Peter Gabriel put out? No, he didn't put anything out this decade. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is hilarious when we're talking to Mike. You know, who has four albums a year. Um, but I I decided to include a sort of slight double header um, from Yes. Because I felt I felt I couldn't do it without including a Yes album of some sort. So, 2011 they released "Fly From Here," um, which was adding uh, Benoit David, the new singer, plus um, probably more significantly Trevor Horn and Jeff Downs into the band. I'm a big Trevor Horn fan through all the stuff that he's done over the years, and so that was and Drama is one of my favorite Yes albums, as I think we covered in a in a previous podcast. Um, and so that kind of effect of the, the drama lineup coming back together and um, revisiting Fly From Here, which again was a was a bootlegged li- a track that was played live but was never recorded, turning it into a 24-minute prog piece um, with that amazing production. Um, I really thoroughly enjoyed that album when it came out. And then for the 50th anniversary, Trevor Horn went in and sang the whole thing again um and and so you truly after chris squire passing um you truly had the drama line up together for for one last time um and i thought it was a really strong collection of songs again i think in probably in 20 years yes have maybe put out about three albums um and but that was again one where i think about albums that i know inside out and 
have listened to consistently over the decades that that is one of them so that's why it has its place in here that was so recent actually yeah. no I, I love flight from here really good stuff i'm a, a huge huge fan of the drama album um it's definitely in my top five of all yes albums and uh i think with i think the three of us did a, a yes podcast yeah, i yeah. believe we, but, did. Uh, we did but yeah i mean so as a huge fan of that particular lineup i really really like this album as well and i love the fact that they re-released it with with trevor horn singing so yeah i think that was a great um you know, final thing for, you know, with Chris on it to, to put out. I'm really glad that they did that. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and the reissue that, that just came out is also really good. Uh, worth checking out. If I mean, I'm sure any yet. Die, yes. Die hard has, has checked that out both. So, um, and by the way, the, we, did you listen to the, uh, what the thing that just came out the from a page or what it's called with the four mm. new tracks. Have you heard yeah. those Mike? No, I haven't heard that. It was the it. stuff stuff that they worked on before Trevor Horn um, sort of joined that project. And it's mm. a, yeah, it's it's a it's a really really good album. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to jump in. My number four. Um, this is a band that I discovered only in like the last five years, and they've just become a crazy favorite band of mine, and I love them to death. And that's the Deer Hunter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm obsessed with these records. I think they're just so awesome. Uh, but I'm going to go, if I had to pick one, it always changes for me, actually, because they're all really fantastic. The the Act, Act series, which is, you know, there's five of them. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm going to go with the last one, Act 5, uh, which came out in 2016 now, which is crazy. Um, but uh, I, I'm just obsessed with this record. I can listen to it all the time. It is... It's as epic as epic can be. It, it's the definition of it to me. I mean, mm. Casey, who writes all the music, he's like a genius. And um, the emotional stuff in there uh, that he spreads out throughout the different songs and the way he repeats themes. There's there's themes repeated from the first album that come up mm. four or five times in albums, you know, four and five. And then re- I don't know how he thought it all out over so many years. It's just... Anybody hasn't heard it, it's like going back and watching the Star Wars trilogy from the beginning. It, it really, it's like, <laughs> right. you just start at album one and just listen. It's just so great. And it's not shreddy and it's not that kind of thing. But songwriting wise, it is so next level great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just love it so much. It's, it's, it's just something I listen to all the time.
Casey is one of, is definitely, uh, you know, people talk about Stephen Wilson and Michael Ackerfeld and all these like, you know, prog geniuses. And he's he's on that level. But I guess the I guess a lot of people wouldn't necessarily all call the deer hunter prog because they're very alternative as, as well. And uh, but I, I've been a huge fan of theirs since Act One back in you know, like mid two thousands or whatever, and I had them on uh, Progressive Nation at Sea, and I, I've been listening to them for forever, and and really admire him. He's he's amazing. The whole band's great. I love the live. Uh, they they almost have a fish kind of vibe, and the way they mix, you know, they, they they do a lot of jamming, and everything is just so interwoven. And my sister's become like a. A huge, huge fan of theirs. I actually follows them on tour, like almost like the Grateful Dead. So <laughs> they have like that almost that kind of audience. Yeah, uh, but yeah, they're a- amazing band. And and when you look at Casey, he doesn't look like that voice is going to come out of that guy. Right, like, he's a big dude, <laughs> you know. And yes, the voice of an angel. It's just, uh, it's just awesome. Um, so I and we did a, a Deer Hunter podcast where we picked. Uh, songs from each album. That was like I think mm. it might have been the second or third podcast we did on mm. this thing. So that's if anybody wants to dive in that hasn't heard anything, that's a perfect way to check these out. Um, I right. love I love I love the color piece. Um, I, ha- yeah. I haven't really got into the, the um the, the the other stuff, but I I love when they sort of came out that sort of uh you know nearly like little magazines coming out. You got another little glimpse, another little glimpse. I thought that was an absolutely brilliant concept. Yeah, he's he's cool. Um, okay, Mike, your number three. Um, well, uh, it would have to be uh, Stephen Wilson, and he's put out so much quality stuff. And I saw a lot of people do their year in list, and and they, a lot of people preferred um, what is it, Hand Cannot Erase. But for me, it was the Raven. That was that was the Raven that refused to sing was my favorite mm. of his solo albums this decade and that was uh his first time with the band that he put together with marco miniman and and guthrie govin and uh nick beggs i mean i mean what a band that band was just incredible uh so that album just did it for me it was uh it was just because it went beyond just steven you know he had this band that were all virtuoso players so it was letting everybody shine and that really appealed to me the most and and i loved uh, all the tunes is, uh, was the second song in the album with this unbelievable guitar solo and uh, yeah I just loved everything about that album you need to clear away all the jetsam in your brain and face the truth well love you make a man while the darkness always ends, you're still alone. So try more. Try more. Try more. Uh, I agree. Um, I don't want to say too much about it just yet, but I love it. And <laughs> it's uh, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, Hand Cannot Erase also is I. It's funny how that one got so much praise. I agree with you, uh, and I think it's amazing also. Um, but I always preferred the Raven as well over Hand Cannot Erase. But uh, Hand yeah. Cannot Erase definitely 
is the one that majority of, of people that have been turned on them. And it might, you know what, it could just sometimes be where Raven built an audience and then the next album just had the audience was had built up right. that was larger. Right. I don't know. But um, I'm a huge Stephen Wilson fan and I'm just, um, again, so thrilled for what he's been able to do. Um, all right, Jeff, you're number three. Well, can anyone guess what my number three is? It's Han Canada is. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. We don't we don't set, we don't set the, we don't pre-plan this. We don't set it up. So I was biting my tongue slightly there. Um, yeah, again, I, I the thing the thing for me the thing that gave this album the edge. Um, I, I just loved the concept, and I got the. I'm sure you guys have seen you know the deluxe of it, which has the booklet. It has all the bits, all these little. You know, bits on and the story actually the, the the story underneath it I think is a is an incredible one. I think that was really the thing probably that made it stand out for me was just that whole thought of, you know, this this is influenced um, for anybody who doesn't know by a story about um, someone who pretty much disappeared um, for over a year and um, they eventually find um, this person had passed away in their apartment um, after what it appeared to be wrapping Christmas presents Mm. for her family. And I suppose the the whole idea of in this world, we are completely connected. And yet here was someone who died on their own. Nobody really knows what happened or why it happened. And I suppose Stephen imagined a story around that. And and I just think that the whole concept of that is, is really powerful. And again, one of those complete packages from, the packaging, um, you know, the the album start to finish again. Another brilliant surround sound, great visuals to go with it, and the the, the killer lineup that we've already um, that we've already mentioned, and the um, the guest appearances, Nanette Tayeb, particularly in the female vocals and stuff like that, and that just some uh, a superb production, and that for me did have the edge over over. Um, the Raven, but again, we're choosing between brilliant, really, you know. Yeah, br- yeah one brilliant they're, thing they're really both thing. just amazing pieces of work. And- I'm going to jump in my number three. Um, again, another band that uh, I obsess over and uh, and I listen to all the time and I just love everything they do. And uh, I mean, people have heard these podcasts are probably sick of me talking about this band, um, but it's Big Big Train. And so I'm going to go with the um, English Electric Full Power compilation, which is uh, the English Electric 1 and 2 that they put together. Um, if I had to pick, I'd probably go number two. Um, but it's just awesome stuff. Um, it has my, maybe, I don't, maybe not my favorite song of the decade, but top two or three songs of the decade, which is East Coast Racer, which, um, is just the masterpiece song epic. Um, 
I can't wait to see them live. It's just the one band that I still have yet to see live, and I'm so excited that I'm finally going to get that chance this year in the U.S. when they come. Um, Mike, I don't. Where are you with Big Big Train? Are, you know, are you, I love those the the two English Electric albums. Actually, are two of my favorites as well. And um, I, I have all the other stuff. I have Folklore and uh, you know the other ones that came out after that. But it's the two English electrics that really caught my ear. I mean, I loved uh, the, the Genesis vibe that they have. It's, yeah. it's such pure Genesis. And I love that Nick is playing with them. Nick's one of my great friends and such a great drummer. And I love that Ricard is now playing with them. I was always a big Beardfish fan. So, yeah, I I haven't seen them live either. Um, I hope I get to as well. And But, yeah, I, I, I love those albums in particular as well. great stuff and and another yeah. band that that keeps growing in popularity and i hope they just keep doing what they're doing if they've been around forever but really in the like the last since this album which came out in 2013 has been when it's when it's really changed for them and it's become a lot bigger yeah and i mean it's been an, an amazing evolution just seeing the the growth in the music and in the fan and the fan base and having i mean I, I got into them again we talked about all these connections i got my first big big train album because i saw nick and dave Murrows um had played on it and it's been an, an incredible journey and i really do hope that um when they get to connect with america that that will take them to another another new level yeah yeah um okay cool uh okay let's see mike you're number two uh, well, if anybody saw my, the, the decade end lists that I posted, uh, my two and my one are going to be no surprise, but I had to basically, um, I had to proclaim, uh, an artist of the decade and, and a runner up. So I'll start with the runner up and, uh, my runner up artist of the decade was my artist of the decade for 2000 to 2009. So that's 20 years of pretty consistent <laughs> material. And that would be Opeth. And uh, they were my artist of the decade last decade and runner up this year, this this decade. And, you know, they this decade was when they really changed their sound and became more of a uh, a true prog fusion band. You know, I think uh, the the four albums they put out this decade uh, have no growling, have very, very little of the, you know, the death metal origins from where they began, which I am a huge fan of, actually. So if I'm picking my favorite Opeth albums, it's stuff like Blackwater Park and Ghost Reveries. But even as a fan of the older stuff, there's no denying that the stuff they put out this decade is just so musically incredible. I mean, the band has just really grown to a level of, of uh, you know, you can hear the fusion in influence. You know, they're no longer a black metal, death metal band. They're more of a, a fusion prog band. 
Um, so they put out this decade, Heritage, Pale Communion, Sorceress, and Incauda Venemum, however you pronounce it. If I had to pick one of those to be on the list, it would be the latest one, uh, Incauda Venemum. Um, just I, lo- I, I think it really took everything they'd been doing this decade uh, uh, to the next level. I love the fact that they put out a version in Swedish. I mean, that's nobody does that. That's pretty unheard of these days. So I love the fact that there's mm. two versions out there with two different vocals. Um, I just love it. I love everything they do, and I have so much respect for them. Michael Ackerfeld is one of my dearest friends um, in the business, and uh, you know I've been a fan of theirs for over 20 years now, and they just consistently put out quality music, album after album after album. I agree. I, I like their stuff this decade the most for me, um, and uh, and the latest one I, I would probably pick as well of of the of the recent ones. It's just a incredible incredible album, and his vocals are just so good. He's yeah, become he's such a great singer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And he did a great great guest spot on the um, Steve Hackett Genesis Revisited as well, which again was sort of something you don't you're not usually used to hearing his voice in that context but yeah incredible is that voice. is that the uh artist you get asked about most in terms of what next super group you want to do yeah <laughs> i get asked about it all the time and i also um i go out of my way to always cite him as well because i you know he is the one guy that's eluded me so far you know <laughs> with, um, of everybody i've wanted to work with i've been wanting to work with him for 20 years and we've been talking about it for almost 20 years you know first uh, we were talking about me, him, and Stephen Wilson doing something, and then, then uh, me and Michael talked about me, him, and Devin doing something. So, you know, uh-huh. there's been all these talks, but it never gets off the ground. And I understand Michael's reluctance; he's not really into the collaborative supergroup thing. He likes doing things his own way. So I get it. Stephen Wilson is the same. Devin is the same. So guys like that, as much as I would love to collaborate with, and as much as I've talked to all three of those guys about it. I understand their hesitance to get into it because they have such strong visions on their own that, uh, yeah. you know, I think they're maybe just uncertain how how it would flow in a collaborative, uh, you know, environment. Yeah. 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 It doesn't work for everybody. Um, all right, Jeff, you're number two. Okay. Number two. Um, um, so for, I, I wanted to include a big, big train album and decided to include this year's The Grand Tour as my big big train album i think it's a real um step forward for them i think there's a whole lot more variety um and i I just think it's it's really sort of the 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 apex at the end of the decade that they that they made the very their very best album so far um was fortunate to get the bucket list opportunity to see them live this year and again they played a lot of that material uh, superb you know there's there's no other band like them um with such a massive lineup and the brass players and everything like that going from um prog to 
you know, brass band to folk to everything. I, I, I just love the whole mix, David Longdon's vocals. And I think the writing and the songs on this album are particularly strong um, from, you know, the poppy stuff like Alive, the Nick's instrumental Pantheon, which I just think is an incredible piece of prog again, unlike probably nothing they've ever done before. Um, and the the album closers uh, Voyager and Home Song were just incredibly powerful and um, yeah, well worth going to see when they come to the USA. And definitely, I think that's that's my favorite Big Big Train album, so it deserves its place here. We need to get them on the big, big boat. Big I, they've, I know they've been <laughs> wanting to do that like crazy. We got to uh, get them on to the edge. I mean, that's 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 their audience, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Larry, I know has been inundated with requests. I mean, if you go to the Facebook forum, it's just people. Just where's Big Big Train? How come you haven't gotten Big Big Train? <laughs> yeah. So I know he's tried. I don't know what what's happened that it hasn't worked out, but uh, you know, maybe one day. For sure, but it, I mean, there isn't a better audience for them than the, than the ship, right? I mean, that's just a no-brainer. Uh, okay, am I up? Number two. Uh, okay, I'm gonna go with uh, a band you might know, Mike, uh, called the Neil Morse Band. <laughs> and one. Uh, that's the question. Uh, right. So I didn't. Okay, I'm gonna. I, I'm doing this so I don't get accused of favoritism. That's why, but I also think someone else might be going with the band at number one. It's a hint, uh, is a is a suspicion, but um, it, it, it's really a toss up for for me between uh, between number two and number one, and uh, I'm going to go with Similitude of a Dream, um, which is just I mean if I had to pick one album that you and Neil ever did that's you know not, I, it may be this one or maybe the whirlwind I don't know but uh, you know this is it's just such a masterpiece album um, everything about it just seemed to really work amazingly well the, you know there's you can listen to it completely as a whole and it's and it's a, a brilliant concept you can listen to just one song and pick it out and it works um, it's got the, the instrumental bits, it's got the, you know, overture stuff, it's got the killer epic at the end. Um, I mean, one of the iconic moments of the last many years is Eric's come on that he, I mean, that's yeah. just, I, was that written? Was that spontaneous that come on? I don't know that I've ever asked what that, what happened when uh, he said that. There's versions of, um, both Similitude and The Great Adventure with Neil singing everything. Because after we re recorded the music, Neil would go off 
and write the lyrics and demo everything with him singing. And at that point, we would figure out what Eric is going to sing, what Bill is going to sing, what I'm going to sing. So the stuff gets distributed around. So that come on, I'm 99% sure was already there from Neil. But then we ended up delegating that whole last bit to Eric's voice, which, you know, he nailed it perfectly. Um, and that's now <laughs> that's now his trademark, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's the it's the fist pumping like everyone yells it. We have a bunch of memes within our yeah. uh, a bunch well, of us I, where we're all I, raising I, fists to the come on and we all may use it to make fun of each other. But, yeah, I have a, have a great video of Cesar on Cruise to the Edge just waiting for it, <laughs> wait for it, wait for yeah. it. And then, yeah. yeah, it's it's like a thing. So, uh, no, I mean, the, the whole thing, the concept, the cover art, everything really came together for you guys for that one. And um, it, it's one of the best concept albums of all time. It's uh, it's Thank you. it's just uh, it's just great. What else Thank can you. I say about it? I mean, I, I couldn't be happier and prouder, but, you know, as you know, I tooted it so highly after we finished it that, uh, you know, I said it was one of the greatest albums I'd ever been a part of. And I think it was mine and Neil's greatest achievement together. And then sure enough, you know, in, in my opinion, we, we did it again with The Great Adventure. To me, I just didn't come out and say that because I didn't want to like seem like I'm going to say that with every album, but I really couldn't have been happier with The Great Adventure as well. I think the two of them side by side, you know, it's four discs of of uh you know some of the greatest stuff I've, I've ever done and ever been a part of so uh i couldn't be prouder of both of those albums as well as the grand experiment too which came out in 2015 so it, it's it's been an incredible year to really um establish the neil morse band as its own uh entity you know it, it's not just neil and me but you know bill randy and eric are such a huge huge part of those yeah. albums as well I haven't listened to the Grand Experiment in a while, and I and I actually put it on real about a week ago and listened to the whole thing straight through. And you're like, "Good Lord, this is awesome!" <laughs> like you just yeah, forget alive you know? again, the song alive again. Like you think of that album, you think of the the title track, you think of the call or waterfall, but you forget like alive again was epic. That yeah. is an epic tune. And then even the uh, the bonus disc with. Um, MacArthur Park, you know, that's like one of the coolest yeah. covers I've ever done. You know what's yeah. funny with, with more, just as a, a uh, sort of going off on a tangent here, but with Morse Fest, you know how you guys have, have uh, done this thing where you've played different albums that Neil has done, and every year you, you go through the catalog, you pick something else, and, and last year you tried to introduce Flying Colors, and, and you sort of feel like, well, we don't want to go to Grand Experiment again because it's not that old, but you think about it when was the last time you played that album it's been yeah. like you could ease that could be a morse fest just playing the grand experiment again it's yeah. been a while it's been five six years at this point yeah you know so i think everybody would be up for any of that 
Um, yeah. But anyway, let's uh, let's move on. Um, uh, you're number one. Uh, well, uh, as I had to list Opeth as the runner-up artist of the decade, I have hmm. uh, I have to make Haken the artist of this decade. Oh, decade cool. for me. Wow. And uh, I mean, their body of work, it's unbelievable that their entire body of work is only from this decade. I mean, they, yeah. I think they started, their first album was 2010. That's so amazing. they've only ever even existed in this decade. And to look at what they've done from Aquarius, Visions, The Mountain, Restoration, Affinity, and Vector, as well as the live albums, um, what a body of work in, within one decade, everything yeah. they've done. And, and I guess if I have to pick one, because you got to, you know, I'm not really picking the artists. We're here. We're picking the albums. I would, I would go with the mountain because yeah. to me, that was when they went to the next level. And, and, and if I'm going to be honest, uh, until the mountain, I hadn't really paid attention to them. I kind of just assumed they were this kind of dream theater wannabe band. And I just kind of like never gave them the time. And then the, the mountain came out. Uh, I think maybe that was their first album on Inside Out, so maybe that's yeah. what got, got my attention. And I put it on, and I was floored. I could not believe what I was hearing. And and it, it went so beyond the Dream Theater elements. I was hearing Marillion elements and Spock's Beard elements and Stephen Wilson elements and, and, and all these original things, all the Gentle Giant kind of vocals and... Uh, and then also all the gent stuff, you know, all the gent influence with all the eight string guitar stuff uh, with, with Richard and, and, and Charlie. It just it it kind of was a melting pot of everything I loved from all the prog scene today. It kind of took it all in. You know, they had a little Marillion. They could have this Marillion moment that's so moody and dynamic. And then at the next minute, these crazy periphery like, you know, eight string gent riffs and and. It just pulled me in. I fell in love with the mountain. And from there on in, I was on board. And obviously, I took them under my wing, took them out with the Neil Morse band. I put them on Cruise to the Edge, and they've been there ever since, every year. Um, <laughs> yeah. Brought them out as my band for the, the Shattered Fortress. Uh, they they went out on tour with Next to None and Max. So really, you know, ever since the mountain, there's been a real close uh, inbred <laughs> situation with 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 me and my family and them, you know, that we've kind of been intertwined ever since. And, you know, they really have been become not only one of my favorite bands out there, but, you know, great, great friends of mine as well, each and every one of them. So, uh, yeah, they are my artist of the decade. And to pick one album, it would be The Mountain. heard of them before the mountain um and uh i guess i saw a single video or something and and i was blown away and then right at the same time was when Pro uh, progressive nation at sea was happening so they got to see them live and that was a, just a mind-blowing moment seeing them live and it was just like wow this is the next band it was really that kind of you know opening your eyes moment seeing them live and even if you go back to Aquarius like Celestial Elixir that song is ridiculous 
and, yeah. and yeah, I didn't mean to write. I didn't mean to write off those early albums. No, I, no, I, I know. Like, it's it's. I had, once I went back and listened, I was like, "Holy shit!" This yeah, is you're go, you're like, who's right? Who was writing this on their first record? Right. And then, and then, and then, visions that title track, and I, I mean, just it's just a a collection of of songs that are just stellar. Um, and so, uh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, the mountains probably probably the one to to pick um as as the one that introduced them to to the masses i think was is really that one um all right jeff you're number one um number one well the the one bit of conferring you and i did roy without naming any names you said <laughs> to me earlier today that there's one that will definitely pick that's the same and i think that has proven to be correct because my number one is similitude as well yeah, that's what i sort um, of figured i figured you would cover me and, for number one <laughs> and, and to be and to be honest I mean, at different points in putting this list together, you know, Testimony 2 was on it. Um, Momentum was on the list um, with World Without End, just another amazing epic track. We've talked about The Grand Experiment. It was on it for a moment or two. Um, and The Great Adventure as well. I think I, I settled on Similitude for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, I, I remember being very excited hearing about the the concept album and um, we had a big white hardback in fact i've still got it pilgrim's progress that we had in our house and it has all these really weird gothic pictures in it that i used to love looking at as a kid my friend's dad appeared in a movie of um pilgrim's progress and if you uh, if you youtube pilgrim's progress you'll see a young liam neeson and various other northern irish people with a with a very 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 dated um movie um, but again, when your friend's dad was in a was in a movie, you 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 remember things like that. Um, but but setting it so it was a, an, an idea and a story I was familiar with, and just loved how that was executed. I, I think you know you guys have said it before. Um, the the bringing together and the fruition of the Neil Morse band with you know all of the vocal contributions by. Um, you know everybody all of the different writing styles seeping through and and the sort of different personalities you know what you're able to do in a concept album whenever you have you know four uh, in fact i don't want to take away from randy because he does sing as well you know but five different vocalists to use from where you have the multi-instrumental capabilities where you have the 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 brilliance of the of the gleaning process that 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 Mike talked about earlier on, because you know you know Neil has put out some of the demos and stuff in the inner circle. This stuff doesn't arrive necessarily fully formed, and um, the work of putting this together it's just masterful. And you know uh, yeah, I mean Mike said about thinking of similitude and the great adventure as you know as a four disc set. You know again there are reprises the interlinks the sort of things that uh you know make the hairs of us pro guys stand up on the back of their neck um and i also for me it i got to see it live four times i actually got to see similitude live three nights in a row um at the uk shows yeah. uh, once one standing at the back of the hall one in the front row and one in the balcony so i kind of had the the multi-angle <laughs> cover, covered over for those three shows and then seeing it at morse fest with all the strings and the horns and all that kind of stuff for me um you know and, and being able to revisit that on, on blu-ray now as well uh, to me it, it is a standout but but again the great adventure 
a, a very very worthy follow-up and a very very narrowly not on this list as well um but any of those five albums i mentioned could all could all hold their own on my list yeah well, thank you another great run of, of albums really i mean it's it's pretty pretty awesome um you know i wonder if just like do you feel like the great experiment which one god the great adventure jesus <laughs> yeah. I know. do you feel like the great adventure just sort of doesn't get the as much attention simply because it just came out after i think so i i look at it like um godfather part one and godfather part two you know i i i love them both equally i don't know if i could pick a favorite between godfather one and two they're to me they're part of the same story just split up into two two different presentations uh same with like star wars and empire strikes back it's the same it's the same story just split up so i I have trouble picking one over the other i know i went on record saying how similitude was the album but then you know that's because the great adventure didn't exist yet at that point and then once we made that (laughs) It was like, man, you know, if, if Similitude hadn't existed first, then this would have been the album. So yeah. I, I, I like to be able to put them in together if I can. And, you know, if I don't have to separate them, I'd rather not. And I'd rather look at them as one story broken up over to four discs, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes it makes it work, uh, work a little better. Um, all right. So I'm going to go with my number one. And it's it's one we already talked about. But um, it's for a specific reason, but it's uh, Stephen Wilson's Raven, their few sing album. And that uh, album is is not only my favorite Stephen Wilson album, um, has my favorite song by him, which is the title track. And that's maybe my favorite song of the decade. It's meant a lot to me. And uh, so I have to give it the nod just because of that song. It just it breaks broke me up the first time i heard it and uh and i just yeah. think live it's it's just transcendent and um uh guthrie govan's playing on it is ridiculous every song on that album is is amazing the watchmaker is awesome and luminol the, the first track i mean it's crazy yeah. um but uh but that title track is just so massive to me and i know that steven's also when i've had a chance to speak to him about it he thinks it's the best song he's ever written and uh, so I give it I give it the nods for that. But also, um, you know, it's around 2013 when that album came out. It was it, it was such an album that had such an effect on me and sort of the stars sort of aligned where I was like wanting to start the what eventually became the prog report. I wanted to write a blog about, you know, reviewing some albums. And it was the first album I reviewed. Mm. And it was it, it oh. was the it was the beginning of all of this. You know, and it's so so it sort of is a little bit special for for that that particular reason. But um, I you know, and I think 
again, Haken, Deer Hunter, Big Big Train, Neil Morse Band, Stephen Wilson. I mean, those those bands are just on repeat. You know, you throw in Flying Colors, Opeth, Devin Townsend. Uh, you know what else we've talked about over the decade? I mean, it's just a phenomenal group of bands making some of the best music ever, which I think yeah. holds up next to anything that's ever been done in the genre, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. You know, everybody always talks about the heyday, you know, 71 to 74 or whatever, and Close to the Edge and Foxtrot and Selling England. And I think we're living in a time where this decade might be the greatest decade of, of in Prague history. I mean, it, it, yep. all the bands that we talked about here are all thriving and making incredible mm. music. Uh, you could add Marillion to that list. I don't think yep. we mentioned them. Yep. And, um, we, we, you know, Transatlantic didn't even make any of these lists. So, you know, not that I want to be tooting my own one, but, you know, Transatlantic is, <laughs> to yeah. me, like such an important part of my life and in, in the prog world as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's an amazing time for this kind of music. And thank God, not not now I want to toot your horn. Thank God for, <laughs> a, a, you know, a platform like the Prog Report or Prog Magazine in the UK, you know, to, to keep this music going, have the fans uh, talking about it. And, and you know, it, 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 the Prog Report, Prog Magazine, uh, Cruise to the Edge, stuff like that has given this scene a world to not only thrive, but also grow and, and progress. Yeah, no, thank yeah. you. And, and yeah, no, it's amazing. We we're, we're blown away. I mean, I was like, my the whole idea was, hey, maybe a hundred people will want to read a review about Stephen Wilson. Like, you know what I mean? That's what, that was the whole thing. I never imagined. I didn't know what Cruise to the Edge was. I didn't think I'd ever see the Neil Morse band live. You know what I mean? It's been crazy. Right. The, the, the scene that's exploded over the last yeah. uh, end of the last decade. It's been amazing to watch and it's awesome. So and, I think, and, I think, I think the beauty of it is, to me, part of what keeps it alive is that as a, you know, we call it a genre, but, you know, you've got something like the Raven that refused to sing that song, you know, compared to Tool, you know, compared to Hagen, where, you know, we're talking about this incredible diversity of music um, that, that doesn't that doesn't follow a template, but it's just has all of those kind of factors that that we like and i mean all of us we'll all talk about you know even privately or in our blogs or stuff you know we all like a whole variety of of styles and the ability to bring that all under one heading even in an album like uh, similitude of a dream that isn't all you know guitar solos and keyboard solos and what people might imagine a prog album sounds like i think i think it's great and i think that having so many people who are on that track so many fans and so many artists and again artists who aren't you know who are active and who are you know connecting and who are putting out high quality albums and here we are you know looking at 2020 with already you know some really strong albums on the way and no doubt a, a fantastic transatlantic album to land and who knows what else yeah it's mm. it's an exciting time Yep. Yeah, I could guarantee that. <laughs> We're working on it now, and and I think we've even we've outdone ourselves talking about transatlantic. So we'll yeah. we'll uh, we'll see. It's going to kick off the decade pretty crazy. Yeah, you're yeah. you're bringing it strong, man. Sons of Apollo, Neil Morse Band, transatlantic, all in one year. It's it's pretty uh, 
pretty good. You're you're fighting for that artist of the next decade already. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey uh, guys, always you know what? It's a good team to do a podcast, Mike. We love having you on, and uh, thank you again for everything. And uh, good luck with the new album and everything. And we'll talk again very very soon. Absolutely. And uh, Jeff, I'll see yep. you. Uh, short. Oh, I'll talk to you shortly again. I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye. It was a pleasure. Bye. Thank you. Happy New Year. See you. Cheers.